This is the Serial and Midnight Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Serial at Midnight Podcast. My name is Heath Holland and I've got a great conversation for you in this episode. But first, please subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, subscribe, leave a comment. If you are listening wherever you get your podcasts, rate and review this podcast. These are things that you can do to directly support this show, to help us to be seen and discovered by new people. And that's the name of the game. Uh, you can contact me directly at serialmidnight at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram, uh, Serial Midnight. I'm on Twitter, Serial Midnight. Anywhere you would expect to find Serial at Midnight, there I am. I'm even on TikTok. So uh, the conversation you're about to hear is, I mean, really, I love it. I'm so proud of this. So I'm talking to John Newton, a.k.a. John Hames Newton, which is his screen acting name. Uh, John has had such an interesting career. Melrose Place, Models, Inc., uh, the Untouchable series, you know, it's, we think about the Untouchables, right? So it was there was a series in the '50s that was based on Elliot Ness's sort of his story, his memoirs, his book. Uh, but they make a series about that in the '50s, and then that inspires the '80s movie, Brian De Palma. What are you prepared to do? That sort of thing, and then they bring it back to television. So TV to movie, back to TV in 1993, and John Newton is one of the main cast in the Untouchables uh, 1993 series. Uh, he's in Alive, the movie Alive, directed by Frank Marshall. But what opened the door for this conversation is that he is the he's Superboy in the first season of Superboy. So in the 1980s, uh, Christopher Reeve is Superman on the big screen. The producers want to bring Superman to the small screen, to television. Um, and they can't call it Superman because of reasons that John tells us in this interview. But uh, they are looking for a Superboy, and it's John Hames Newton. And I... I'm so interested in this because this is a series that shot in Florida shot at the, at the MGM Disney's MGM Hollywood studios in Florida. They're making this series in the eighties. It's such an interesting time in entertainment history. And why did John not return as super, he's only Superboy in the first season. So why did he not return for seasons two, three, and four? He tells us we, you, you can get the information on the internet. You can hear from different places. Here's him telling the story directly himself. Uh, he auditioned for friends guys. We talk about desert kickboxer, which is an amazing, uh, early nineties action movie, sort of a low budget action movie, but it's wonderful. It's fantastic stuff. All of this is covered in this, but what's really interesting here is that John has now transitioned into helping people, which you can tell when he talks about it, this is what he's supposed to do. This is his calling in life. This is his passion. So he has such remarkable perspective on his career. He has fun stories about the things that he's done. Uh, but what really, you know, is sort of the, the uplifting end note here is that he has transitioned into something that is really helping. Starting as Superboy and then where he is now helping people. It's such an interesting career trajectory. I had a blast talking to John Newton. So guys, I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. John Newton. So you're born in North Carolina, right? You're a Carolina boy. Yeah. How do you end up in the pitches? How do you, you know, what's your road? Like, is this something you always aspired to, or was it a, a long road to get there? Uh, I'll give you the really short version. So um, <laughs> I'm a junior in high, was I a junior or a senior in high school? And uh, there was, <clears throat> I had to take an elective and I wanted to leave school early because I hated school. I was terrible at school. 
And so there was two choices, advanced auto mechanics, which I knew nothing about. And all the guys in there pretty much wanted to kick my butt anyway, all the time. So I was a little afraid of that. And the other was advanced acting. And I'd never taken acting before. And they said, well, you got to get permission. So I go to the acting teacher. I'm like, you know, pretending to want to be into acting. And I say, um, you know, I'd love to get into this. And he goes, okay, well, um, and he, we, you know, like a half hour interview. And he goes, well, you have to agree to three plays. I'm like, three plays? I've never been in a play in my life, right? Yeah. And so uh, long story short, I ended up doing three plays, small parts usually. And um, and then when I graduated, I was like, what am I going to do now? So I moved to New York City, study acting and all that. Long story shortened of that one. Um, did a lot of theater, a lot of crappy theater, uh, but finished a two-year program. And then was back in North Carolina on vacation, just randomly. Literally, I just graduated from my two-year program where you're not allowed to audition or anything. You have to commit to the program. And I went to see the studios in Wilmington and Lynn Stallmaster, who cast Superman, you know, all the you know big casting director in the 70s before you were born. And um, she's like, we're casting this movie weekend at Bernie's. Can you come back tomorrow and audition? I'm like, yeah. So I auditioned. He goes, this is really great. Would you be interested in a TV series? I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the actors will do anything, right? Uh, and uh, pretty much early on, especially. So yeah, I came back the next day and and uh, auditioned for uh, the Superboy series, Young Superman in college. They couldn't call it Young Superman because the Salkinds had leased the rights out to the canon. I'm sure you know all that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, went back to New York and then they flew me to Florida, I think for a screen test and I got to put on Chris Reeves costume. And that was, I was then it really hit me. It's like for the screen test, I'm like walking around in Chris Reeves costume. We didn't know how to put the cape on properly. So the straps are on the outside of the, of the costume. Once we figured it out, we realized we didn't have time to take the whole top off, put the cape on the inside because of how the cape attaches. Anyway, tested for that, went back to New York and, uh, and then got the job, moved to Florida, like, you know, within a week or two. I mean, it was crazy fast. That whole thing is crazy. So did you feel, I mean, Superman, Superboy, how about like it's Superboy, right? But it's Superman, like it's Clark Kent, it's yeah, Cal, right? That's yeah. a daunting, I mean, that's a huge thing. Were you did you feel any sort of I don't know, was it overwhelming at all? Were you worried about? I mean, you're literally wearing Christopher Reeves costume. Yeah. Were you worried about that at all? I, I I would say I was worried. I felt like an imposter, you know. I feel like yeah. Did I sneak in here and no one realized like I'm full of crap and I suck and and this is happening? You know, it was like I always felt that way. I mean, it was just I was like a punk at the time. You know, I hadn't I hadn't faced my like dark night of the soul. I hadn't done any like internal like really confronting my fears, and so I was just kind of like I don't know. I just kind of skated through and and like what am I doing here? And I just never felt like you know oh I'm I've arrived. You know, I didn't have that feeling. Yeah. Um, at all um you know but yeah it was it was intimidating and it was all the same people from the movies and like the, the wire guys the effects guys the producer line producer they were bringing in uh colin chilvers to direct and he was the uh effects you know had done a bunch of features i mean they had a decent and then they brought in writers from like you know dated writers from the 70s and stuff like that so a lot of our early scripts were uh, a little, a little weak, if you want to call it that, uh, got better in the second 13, the pickup. So, right. Yeah. They brought comics creators in too, which I noticed that like Denny O'Neill comes in and writes some stuff. They bring in Mixie's Pitalik as a character for and yeah. hey, Michael J. Pollard. Right. Oh, he was awesome. He free. You couldn't keep a straight face. You're trying to get your lines down and he's off camera. You know, you're reading with him and he's just, he, he trying to make you laugh. Cause that's just his 
personality. Right. He was hilarious. Yeah. Um, I brought in Carrie Bates. So Carrie Bates was a DC guy. And uh, I was like, you know, why don't we bring in these comic writers in? Because they were bringing in Star Trek writers from like, you know, or I mean, the first Star Trek. I mean, <laughs> these are guys who weren't plugged into what was hip and cool and all that. And they're like, so they, Carrie submitted some stuff. Carrie doesn't remember this. I talked to him years later. He goes, well, I don't know if you brought me in. I'm like, seriously, dude, I don't really care. Um, but anyway, yeah. So uh, they started bringing in more comic, more people that got the world as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, Hollywood. It doesn't always translate, you know, Star Trek and things right. like that. So. Yeah. Did you, filming in Florida, this is like the very beginning of the uh, that Disney MGM Studios lot, right? Like they're just starting yeah. to film things right there. Kind of an experimental model, wasn't yeah. it? How did that? How did that go? Yes, yeah. it was very much experimental. It was uh, uh, Florida was a right to work state, so there's there's like many reasons producers want to shoot there because it's obviously cheaper. Um, but you also get like the quality of some of your support is they're learning as they go. We were a lot of us were learning as we went, and then of course we had some you know veteran uh, people on that were you know knew what they were doing. So it was a combination of things, but we kind of learned as we went and. Um, it was definitely a new frontier down there. I know they probably shoot. Are they still shooting a lot of stuff down there? Do you know? Is I don't it... know. I don't know that they are. I, I don't hear about it much. I mean, but everything's you know. in Georgia now, right? It's all. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of places now, but back then this was, you know, 1988. Mm-hmm. Like that was the last century. Yeah. So it was a different time, you know, different place. And, and, and of course, Florida was like, you know, hundred percent humidity, 90 yeah. degrees. And we're filming in the direct sun and you can't, I can't sweat in a costume. You know, right. you get these big, dark marks of you know it's just brutal so that was like a constant battle i had to kind of use mind over matter to, to not sweat and then of course sometimes you just sweat um but uh, yeah, that was an interesting part of it and you didn't have a whole lot of costumes either like you can't just go do a costume change and come right back can you no we had so we had like different we had a flying costume we had a walking costume we had a costume that could go underwater because the the very first scene that we ever shot i'm coming out of a swimming pool and so it's like the boots are full of water. I mean, it was like, it was a mess. I don't know whose idea that was like, you know, pretty much destroyed that costume. We didn't have a lot in the first um, few, several episodes. Uh, Chris Reeves costumes were what we used. We had, we'd um, um, modified them. He's a little taller than me and all that. And the underwear was really high, like in the seventies, you remember the, the, the yeah. tidy whities that were really hot. That was the style. So we had to, I was like, guys, you got to trim that down because they, they kept it right. And I was like, it looked like grandpa's, you know, grandpa pulls his pants up to here, you know? Right. And I was like, no. Um, so, yeah. So, and then, and then Disney, the costume department was working with us, which never happens. They don't work with outside kind of people, but they did. And they, they uh, replicated some costumes. And so we started having our own costumes, which was nice. Um, and then boots were made and, you know. Did you talk to Christopher Reeve at all? Was there any sort of a, you know, were you concerned about taking on this mantle? Because you obviously didn't know that in 2023, somebody like me is going to go, hey, would you be willing to talk to me about about your time in the series? Yeah, I don't think Christopher Reeve gave a rat's, you know, what about anything related. I think he'd moved on, you know, in many ways. Yeah, Uh, I can't. Did he have his, had he had his accident by then? I don't think he had. No, that was like 90. 95 maybe yeah 94 95 in there so yeah i don't no i didn't talk to him uh at all i mean i that would have been awesome i would have been starstruck i'm yeah. sure you know because uh chris reeve but uh no not at all uh, but i researched with anybody else i could talk to a lot of people that were part of the early projects and mm-hmm. um you know things like that but uh 
an, an anecdotal kind of funny thing is, is I wasn't a big comic book uh, person. Sorry to admit that walk of shame here. But um, when I was a kid, I was obsessed at my grandma's house. She had a basket of old comics. And one was a Superboy comic with um, Superboy in the ring, uh, punching the bad guy in the ring because it was like he fought dirty and Superboy came in and punched him. And I used to I was obsessed with this comic. Go figure. I don't even know why. <laughs> it was so random that I love this one Superboy comic and I just identified with it. It was, it was so weird. Uh, same thing with the Alive. I did that movie Alive with the rugby team that crashed. I was obsessed with that book when I was a kid. I used to carry it around when I was like eight years old. <laughs> it was like one of those bizarre things. Um, and then, of course, being in the movie years later was a was a an interesting kind of full circle thing. But. Well, let's jump to that. I mean, I, I wanted to talk about Cool as Ice, but we <laughs> let's let's talk about uh, any ice, any any vanilla ice stories. Uh, vanilla Ice. So. He was super cool. He was like the nicest guy. I think he was misunderstood in a lot of ways. Um, I I mean, the whole thing happened. He got uh, a little bit in trouble in a parking lot, I guess, while we were filming. Because he was like, when we started filming, it was like he was this huge star in many ways. And I'm like, wow, I'm playing the bad guy against him. This will be interesting. It'll be fun. And then he got in trouble. And then some stuff came out in the press. Uh, whatever. <laughs> and then his popularity declined by the time the movie came out, the movie, I don't even know what it grossed 20 or 30 million. I don't know, but they were expecting it to be a big, big success. Mm -hmm. But uh, he was, he was super cool. He's the nicest guy. We'd hang out and just, you know, have fun and whatever. Uh, he had his posse, which insulated him a little bit, which, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of really big fellows. Um, <laughs> but you know, what's interesting about that movie uh, is Janusz Kaminski. He's like the DP. I mean, he does like Schindler's List and he's won like so many Academy Awards. He does every Spielberg movie. That was, I think it was his first film. So I got to work with him and I was like, and I saw him years later and he's like, what's up? You know, it was like really cool. I'm like, I'm not worthy, you know, because he's phenomenal. I mean, his stuff, God, I mean, just so good. So that was his first thing. I'm sure it's not on his reel. Um, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine you're looking at Yano's reel and it's like cool as ice? Yeah, no. But you know, that movie's developed a really uh, cult following in the years. It? Yeah. Like people were like, oh, I love this movie. Because that's the thing is like time kind of equalizes everything. And the further you get from some of these things, uh, all the baggage that came with it, like nobody remembers that Van Vanilla Ice got in trouble in the parking lot or during filming. Right. They just remember like, oh, I love the those music, the, the, the songs at the time. And yeah. it just becomes a piece of their their past, you know? So it's cool. It's very campy, you know. I think yeah. I think our show wasn't campy enough to be ever be hip or cool again. Uh, but I don't know about like, that. I got, look at this handsome guy right here. Oh yeah, uh, the I horror. I think it's pretty campy in a in a good uh -huh. way, not in a bad way. But your grocery clerk sent to deliver a bill. Um, that's apocalypse now. It's before your time. Sorry. That's I'm, I was born in the '70s. I'm I'm older than you think. Let's talk about a lot. So alive. Frank Marshall didn't direct a lot of, he's not known as a director necessarily did a lot of producing stuff. You're working with Frank Marshall. Any stories yeah. from the set of Alive? Um, yeah, that was an interesting. Bad, not a great shoot. No, no, no. It's just, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere on a glacier. We're helicoptered in every day. They built this whole set on a glacier with like a real crash plane and it, it was on hydraulics so they could simulate the snow getting higher by lowering the plane and the plane coming up the snow getting lower we were on diets of like a thousand calories a day and we're at like 11 12 000 feet just like freezing our buns off and and it was just such a great experience they wanted the actors to kind of go through like one percent maybe right but go through some of like the conditions in some ways so they 
they kind of did a lot of that, which was smart, I feel. Um, but yeah, a lot of great actors in that uh, that film. We had a good time. Um, but it was definitely a struggle. It was really interesting to meet the survivors too. And I got to go to Uruguay. Yeah. Uh, the following holiday, I went and uh, met all the survivors because most of them won't, well, some of them won't fly anymore. And so uh, I went down there and was there for like two weeks and they took me into their homes. I got to do all these, you know, celebrations. That was super cool. Um, one of the perks, you know? Yeah. Wow. I skipped over something that uh, we got to talk about desert kickboxer. If yeah. that That's a, I don't remember how many Academy Awards we were nominated <laughs> for. I think we only took home three or four of them, but, but yeah, oh, you got robbed. Phenomenal. Robbed. No, phenomenal piece of, I think everything about it. I don't know that you could improve a film. You know, when you watch a masterpiece like that, how could you make it better? And the answer is no, you cannot. No, it's just carved in stone. Why is it? You were carved in stone. You were like chiseled out of rock in that movie. Right. So like, did you come from muscle, you know, bodybuilding and martial never. arts training? Never. I, I, I only two times I ever lifted weights my whole life. And I didn't even lift weights. I did these, I think they were called Kaiser machines. They used air pressure or something uh, for, for Superboy. And for, um, for that I did a little bit of that but I was a martial artist you know that's what I always did so I was you know I don't even know that I lifted a lot of or did a lot of the weight stuff with uh with desert kickboxer I don't, I don't you're making people that. really mad right now because there are people who are lifting like you know hours a day to get this physique that you seem to I don't know it sounds like you're just genetically predisposed to this like physique. well I think there is some genetics like my dad was the had the fastest uh 40 yard dash in the world like my dad was this amazing athlete and uh, he a football player and he ended up making the New York Jets, uh, New York Giants, not New York Jets. Uh, and he got kicked off the team for, you know, alcohol and curfew violations. But that's another story. Anyway, I'm not that way now. I got I got, you know, I'm definitely not. I don't know my my muscle, my what do you call it? Fat index or whatever they call it, probably yeah. in the 30s, 20s. I don't know. So that was the long time ago. Well, it looks great. I wish that movie could get uh, re-released somehow because I don't know that it's in circulation. Hey, listen, I it's it needs to die. These movies. It no. needs to die. Yes. No. What All is right. wrong with you? I like stuff like that. There's, there's. Hey, we're okay. talking about cool as ice, right? There's something. There's a charm to, you know, popping that VHS in the player and just watching somebody kick butt. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if it falls into the category of they're not laughing with you um I, i'm wondering um it's one of those things where you go it, it's you know laughing at you i think is what it is no i don't think so i don't will anyway. there will be comments that i don't I know i haven't seen it in 20 years so i don't know there are gonna be comments on this video and i bet they're gonna be very supportive because people love this stuff i mean listen i'm i'm you see the like, i'm surrounded by movies like cult movies are a huge deal so yeah i don't yeah, know yeah. own it embrace it <laughs> like it's part <laughs> of you uh untouchables any uh i think it's really cool that they bring back the untouchables in the 90s for a new generation um what was that how was that experience for you um it was interesting it turned into the al capone show and i don't blame them if you're a writer and you're chris uh what was it chris crow or what was the main producer i think it was chris crow the creator anyway he's got this team of writers are you gonna write for the good guys the untouchables i was one of those i was like the andy garcia character or are you going to write for Al Capone and Frank Nitti and that whole crew? So that's in, ended up becoming that. Um, and uh, it, was, it was still a great experience. I mean, it, you know, great money. I'd come in, sometimes say three lines, and then I'd be done for the episode. <laughs> and then some episodes, I'd have my own episode, which was great. Um, yeah. But uh, David James Elliott, who ended up going on to do JAG, J-A-G, um, 
Uh, he was one of the untouchables with me. And uh, yeah, it was fun. I mean, we filmed in Chicago and I love Chicago. So that was cool. Yeah. Period. Uh, the whole the whole period costume thing with the fedoras and Tommy. Yeah. Guns, all that jazz. Driving. I love to drive anything like tractors, backhoes. I mean, I I love heavy machinery. So I got to, I was the driver. Right. So I got to drive all these old cars, these old four cylinders and the you're adjusting the timing, which is a lever on the steering column. And I mean, just all this, I just love it. And then of course we were shooting Tommy guns, real Tommy guns and uh, 1911, which is a 45 caliber. Um, but yeah, that was our sidearm. And, you know, we, we got to bust up some illegal brewery operations and tax evasion and all that stuff. So yeah, it's cool. Walker, Texas Ranger, Chuck Norris, yeah, the, the icon. <laughs> Chuck was really nice guy i mean people you know you hear the whole you know the chuck norris jokes and all that stuff he's just the nicest guy i mean i never felt like oh this guy's full of himself and blah 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 and it was just fun you know it was fun to be a part of that i think that's another kind of my whole career I, the more and more you're bringing it up i'm realizing man a lot of campy stuff that i did <laughs> not intentionally campy maybe but it was cool at the time it's only camp yeah. in retrospect i think yeah that's true i mean it was it was fun that was a good experience you know i love this stuff yeah. people love hey they that walker texas ranger is so popular they rebooted it with a new for a new generation you know there's a new walker texas ranger you mean on a, tv right now yeah a new like new characters and stuff not like yeah, it's uh it's jared padalicki from supernatural and it's like it's a reboot they've rebooted walker and it's in this maybe the second or third i think it's in the third season so Wow. It's on, I think it's on Paramount Plus. One of the things that I am really interested in is you did a spot on Viper. That, now, when I was in the 90s, Viper and the night that that was the coolest show. It was Bilson and DeMeo, who were incredible creators, in my opinion. They did uh, the Flash mm -hmm. series, the night, the, the original Flash series with, uh, you know, the 1991. And you had a spot on that. That car was, man, the Dodge Viper was an amazing car. And I feel like they, it was like Knight Rider for a new generation. Like they built this show yeah. around a car. Any, um, what was your experience on that show? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, I do. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, so, all right. So I did the Viper thing. And uh, I chose to do a Southern accent, which was a strange choice but i just wanted to kind of like this character so it's so i was i came on as the guy with the motorcycle version of the viper car so my motorcycle transformed and all that and uh i was like a loose cannon kind of deal cut to the lead actor leaving the show maybe a few months later i don't remember the timing of it and so they had me in as like to replace him to take over the show and they had a couple other guys and uh and so we tested we went to i think it was paramount and we tested over at the paramount lot and um i'm like wow this will be interesting and then and at the last minute the original guy so the guy that left the show kahi somebody kahi or i don't remember his name the original guy came back in so they got him so i ended up doing that <laughs> all right there are going to be people who watch this video just to hear you talk about models inc and melrose place so oh, wow that that huge shows huge legacy i mean like still still getting talked about today still getting seen today yeah um how was that for you um awesome uh carrie ann moss was on models inc with me which was great and she was so super cool and i'd run into her years later after she'd done the matrix and i'm like you know <laughs> not worthy kind of thing uh but uh super cool people i mean you know it's models inc you know 
Um, I feel like I played a priest on there who got a girl pregnant or something like that. That's, no, that's... Or you were a reverend character. You definitely Yeah, was... initially. And then I left the priesthood or the whateverhood. I don't know if they specified what religion it was. I hope I didn't offend anybody by taking on that that role but um yeah that was interesting and then yeah melrose place which was a models inc i think was a spinoff of melrose place and i did melrose place later i think yeah i think that's how it worked anyway i think models uh, inc ended and they kind of passed it into folded it in if, if yeah, yeah yeah something like that but uh yeah that was fun uh melrose place was a well-oiled machine right it did the, the last season the 26 episodes and you know you come in and it's like you're only working certain sets so whenever they're shooting those sets in those days those are the days you work so you have like three four days off if you're not like i'm never in the hospital scenes i'm never at jack whatever wagner's house whatever you know and there's certain characters that you interact with so you shoot those on the days you work and then you're off so it was kind of cool that way like you know you work 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 as opposed to most like movies you're you're sitting around all day and they might not ever use you yeah uh, alive was that way right because they never knew in the plane which way they were going to see and you might be in a shot and you're not so you were always on set for every everything the whole time and for me i was on for the entire time because of i was in the trekking which there were only three or, or uh three of us in the trekking and that was a third of the shoot but they ended up cutting an hour out of it so my part went from like way high to like you know whatever but yeah I was, I'm digressing. Melrose was fun. Yeah. Interesting show. <laughs> well, did you so bring up that experience? Did you prefer film or television as you know, to, to work in one medium over the other? Was there one that you were? Every actor, every actor prefers film. I don't care what they say. I mean, as the creative, as the artistic, as the, you know, now is the money better in TV? Yeah. You score a, a TV a series that gets into syndication or something and you're like you know you're set for life financially but creatively 99 of actors would rather do film i mean studio features of course right. that's the pinnacle right and then when when someone broke that barrier like i um i turned down joey audition for friends like the producer said just come in at the end it's a producer session i'm like i'm not doing a half hour sitcom that was the mentality back then i remember what year that was I was like, I'm not going in for that. Like, seriously. But, you know, he was a much better Joey. But I but I did have an opportunity to go in and audition at the very end of that, possibly test or whatever. But I said, no. And like, I look back now, I'm like, wow. And I'm, I'm glad, you know, in retrospect. But at the time, I was like, you know, when the show became popular. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it was like, no, I want a film career, you know. But then people started crossing those boundaries around that time. This is 25 years ago, probably. And now it's like, no one cares. Um, everyone goes back and forth. So, yeah, I feel like TV now is um, in some ways it's more popular than film because there's mm. so many, you know, I mean, look at what's happened in the last, I think it probably started with the Sopranos really. And then this huge, uh, th this so much talent in television and so many uh, film actors coming to television to tell finite stories you know it's not they're not signing up for nine-year deals or anything they'll do a season you know you look at something yeah. like true detective or whatever so um it's interesting how it's all changed but you know I, you were in a, a christmas movie the christmas card with ed asner and now christmas movies i know now these christmas movies are like i mean they are bigger than i can I, they are huge i think one of the channels i don't Maybe it was Hallmark. This past Christmas, they had like 40 new Christmas movies during the month of December, which I don't even know. That's more days. That's more movies than there are days in the month. So, yeah. but 
year, I think 2006 is, I believe what this was. And that's kind of, I feel like had that happened yet Were Christmas movies, this like, Oh, well that's where you go. And that's, that's, it's a yeah. huge industry. No. Uh, in fact, uh, when we did the Christmas card, it was their highest rated original programming that Hallmark channel had ever done in their history. Uh, wow. They paid like, I don't know how many millions of dollars for March of the Penguins and it just smoked everything. And it created this movement. There were other Christmas movies, a handful, but not many. And the, the success of the Christmas card uh, was so big that it paved the way, for better or worse, because now it's just this formula of uh, oversaturated. You know, it's like YouTube in the early days was interesting. And now it's just flooded with a bunch of crap. And how do you find the good stuff yeah. amidst the crap? Um, and just some of these movies are just painful. Um, and some are fun and decent, and it, it, but it's a sacred place for the people that want to say, hey, I can take my kids. There's not going to be any gratuitous violence. There's not going to be any crazy, you know. So and I love that in that way, there's one sacred place. I'm not saying Hallmark. I think there's another channel. I don't, something sprung out of Hallmark that there was something that went on. I don't know the whole story, but just that there is a place where people can have kind of family style. Cause even Disney movies, you take your six-year-old, seven-year-old to see some of these Disney movies and they're freaking traumatic. You know, Oh, it's, you think Disney it's okay. No, it'll be safe for the kids. No, it's not. Some of them are disturbing. Mm -hmm. um, not all, but some, and it's just kind of like that. So I think that there is uh, an Avenue there. There's a lot of Christmas movies, like you said, I think there's probably too many. Um, they, you know, Hanukkah movies, Christmas movies. I mean, it's just they're going to run out of names eventually. What, what are they going to do then? It's like Christmas Cookie Ranch or something. I mean, somebody just just copyrighted that. You just gave somebody an idea. <laughs> they got the website. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, go figure. How was well? How was Ed Asner to work with? Oh, he was so cool. You know, if someone wasn't cool, I'm not going to say there. You know, it's like when you watch those make, making of and everybody's like, oh, the director was amazing. Steven Spielberg was so great to work with. And it's just a fluff piece. Like, just tell us the truth. What was it really like on set? But it's, you know, a lot of those making ofs are just promo pieces. But um, he really was super cool. And we, we got to hang out with him a few times. We got to go to the Pentagon, which was kind of fun. We were going to go to the White House uh, because the Christmas card was that popular. Wow. And it was a time with morale and the troops and all that. It was one of those things. Uh, but because of Ed's political kind of skew, um, I think it was, wasn't W in the White House at that time? Uh, mm -hmm. Bush, uh, they they uh, nixed the White House visit because of that, uh, I heard. But we got to go to the Pentagon, which is fun. But Ed Asner's super cool. And I mean, Elf is one of everybody's all-time favorite Christmas movies, right? So Yeah, Mary Tyler Moore. I mean, he's a, yeah. he's a legend. Yeah, he was he was just the nicest guy. We were getting these long talks about all kinds of things. And I talked to him about socialism and, you know, because I just wanted to hear his point points of view, because I feel like a lot of people are misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, politically, I'm right. You know, I'm like kind of like maybe libertarian or something. I'm kind of right in the middle, but I'm always interested in other people's points of view and just very intelligent and really, really awesome guy. Well, tell me what you're doing right now. Where have you uh, where have you ended up at the moment? Where have I been lately? Um, well, yeah, so, see, your Wikipedia page says that you are a former actor, and that's <laughs> where someone is the res. Now I, we know Wikipedia is never wrong, right? They never. Oh God, uh, Wikipedia! <laughs> I, I, it said on there that I had a DUI at one point, and I'm like, who comes up with this? I, on my life, never gotten a DUI. I did get a ticket during the Superboy thing. Well, so that's on, the story I, is that you got a DUI. While I never got. I swear on my life, I never got a DUI. I've never been stopped for a DUI. Okay. Whatever. I did get a, a um, 
a ticket on private property. Uh, um, and that was, I was doing something kind of silly, but it wasn't what it, what they said it was. I wrote a letter that was stupid of me at the time. And they ended up using that saying, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, and then that's one of the reasons they say I left the show, but it really had to do with um, um, money. They kept saying, oh, we're going to pay you more. You're doing all your own stunts. You had a couple accidents, close near death stuff, literally that happened. And they're like, we're going to get you more money. And then they came down. They said, no, we're not. I'm like, well, I'm not coming back. And that's the Hold actual truth of what Hold happened. On near-death experience and near-death stunts oh they flew me the so the the, the wire effects guys had to go back to uh, england for a funeral so i didn't even know i'm you know you're in character you're on the set you're i'm not really paying attention to who's operating the rig and uh it was some uh, it wasn't even i want to say it was the one guy was the prop department he lets go of there's a rope that's attached to the wire that i'm connected to in a harness with these counterweights and you can't let it go because they let it go and i shot straight up and took up all the slack in these 1.2 millimeter wires, which are only rated, I think, at 300 pounds each. Me at 190, 200 pounds at three miles an hour exceeds that. So I went up and then came back down, bam, and it didn't snap the wires. At 60 feet, I would have died. They flew me into telephone lines that had electrical lines above it, and I missed those by a little bit. I mean, it was crazy what happened. And there was a lot of other things, too, that happened. But I'm not faulting anybody. It was it was truly my bad. I had a contract. Um, but they shouldn't have promised me more money and, and no one would come up with the money. So the producers, the creators, the uh, Viacom, it was just a mess. And I was like, well, I'm not coming back. And they were like, yeah, you are. And I said, well, we'll see. And I'm, I could be stubborn and stupid. You know, I was 23. Um, I wish in hindsight, I'd, I'd honored my contract just because I, it's a, it's a contract you know, and I entered into it. And so that I do feel bad about, because that's an integrity issue. Um, but I never got a DUI. Um, and they dropped the ticket. So go figure. But anyway, moving on. Um, what were we just talking about? Well, I want to know how you ended up in uh, your, you're currently doing a lot of, a lot of help. For oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that. So I started doing the work that I do now, which is helping people with quality of life issues, kind of chronic pain, stress, addiction. I started doing that at the beginning when I started acting, but I did it for free. And then about 15 years ago, I started charging. Uh, I did donation and then I did sliding scale and then I started charging and then the, it just took off and I love it. I feel like I'm so much better at this. I, I've worked in hospitals. Um, I worked at the Betty Ford Center in the pain management program. Uh, that was amazing, great experience for like a year and a half, got to help a lot of people. Um, but my whole thing is I, I help people rewrite the program. It's like I, people run their life with a program and the program was written almost always in the early years of our life. And so it's our belief system. It's how much money we make. It's the quality of our relationships, our choices. Everything is this really bound in this program that people are just running unconsciously. So I help people have access to that and to rewrite the program and to see that we don't store memory in the mind memory shows up in the mind, but it's actually held in the body in a big way too. So it's like our bodies remember stuff. So as we clear that out, we start getting more possibility, uh, start seeing life improve. Um, and I, I just love it. I mean, I, yeah, I love doing it. Where did it come from? You, you said you've been, I mean, your, your site says that you've been doing this for 35 years. How does someone who's in their early twenties have the, the experience to, to, to you know, 
I had a miserable time. I'll spare you the childhood. I'll spare you the kind of things that happened uh, in my life. But it was to me a desperation out of like, I got to do something or else I'm not going to be able to stay on this planet. I just, it was like that level of intensity. And so I started discovering like things like self-help, right? And all these kind of things that were out there. Most of it was crap, but there was a handful of them. They were like, wow, this is really helpful, right? So I do more of that and I'd integrate something else. And I travel in another country and study with somebody here and read this book and take this seminar. I mean, I studied thousands and thousands of different uh, paths, different people, um, gurus, meditation, you know, anything you could imagine that could help the human condition. I really wanted to help myself. And then as I was helping myself, I'm like, this is cool. I'm going to, I want to share this and help other people. So I did, but I didn't charge for it. Cause I just loved doing it. I was making a living uh, in the acting world. And, uh, and then eventually I just made the transition. I'm like, what am I doing in this acting thing as I don't love it because the struggle, I love working, but I didn't love all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I love this other thing. And I'm much, I feel like I'm so much better at this than I ever was uh, in the acting. And so uh, that's what I do. And I've gotten to work with some of the most amazing Academy Award winners and Olympic athletes, professional athletes, homeless people, rock and roll stars. I mean, I've had some of the most incredible experiences ever. I'll tell you a really quick anecdotal thing. I can tell you thousands of crazy stories, but my favorite band growing up, which will remain nameless because I have to honor the it's actually a HIPAA law because I, I met them through uh, Cedars Sinai Hospital. I was working with a cardiologist, head of clinical cardiology at Cedars, coming into their office, going into the hospital, working with their patients. So this doctor calls me and says, Hey, I got an emergency. Uh, one of my patients is getting ready to perform on national television and they can't stand up. I cannot get them a muscle relaxer fast enough. They got 25 or 30 minutes before they're literally going on national TV. They were performing for the, uh, I think it was the Olympics at the time. And I'm like, yeah, 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 just have them call me. And um, so they call me. So I'm a little starstruck because this is like my favorite group growing up and it's their lead singer. And I'm like, this is amazing, right? So I worked on them over the phone for like three, four minutes and they were completely fine. The back pain was gone. They were walked on. They did a great concert. So when they came back to Los Angeles, they wanted to meet me. So I met them at the uh, clinic and they were like, a little spooked out because some of the some of the stuff I do is a little weird. I mean, it's like it's strange, <laughs> but but hey, if it works, who cares? And and they were like, you know, just really uh, uh, humbled, and I was humbled, of course, too. And it was just great to meet them. And and uh, but I have so many of those experiences. I mean, just weird stuff. Go figure. That's wonderful. Where uh, for people who want to know more, where should they go check it out? Oh, okay. Yeah. So my website is healthbeyondbelief.com or you can go to johnnewton.com uh, and it redirects. Um, so yeah, that's that. And there's, there's a uh, free stuff on there. It's not like, you know, you got to buy something. Uh, there's all kinds of interesting information and, and free stuff. I do a free call every, every month for people and it's 90 minutes and you can get something worked on on the call. It's a little odd when I talk about it out loud, it sounds a little strange my whole life feels surreal, but Hey, people are getting help. I love it. And, uh, it's all good. The results are all that matter, right? Well, exactly. And, uh, and a, a lot of people get help. I'm not, you don't make, I don't make medical claims. I'm really care- conscious. Cause I work with doctors. I work with therapists, but man, I've worked with people that, you know, survive plane crashes and can't even go near an airplane 20 minutes, 30 minutes. They're on a plane and they're completely fine. No stress at all. I've helped nine 11 survivors and, 
just so many people with all kinds of wild things. Cops who've been shot on duty and, you know, can't leave their house. Just wild stuff. A lot of, a lot of uh, vets who've come back from the theater of war and just struggle and helping them is, is awesome. I love doing that too. So um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great path. I feel humbled to be, uh, to be able to do it. So. You know, the, the poetry here is that you started your career as Superboy and saving people. And now here you are all these years later, saving people. It's, it's, it's just Well, I, I love that. And I, I don't ever claim to save people, but I understand what you're saying. I help people helping save Helping people. Yeah, yeah. Helping people. I do help. Giving people. them the tools to help themselves. Yes, yes. Helping them connect to their, their higher power, that whatever that is for them, because I have people of every denomination and people who don't believe in a higher power, but the higher power is a part of it, you know, for people, cause it's, there is some form of higher intelligence uh, in the universe. And so we're just tapping into that for the help because sometimes we need to access more than ourself for, for, for our reference, you know, for everything really. So it's a, that's a big part of it for sure. So. Excellent. I, I know in the past you've attended the uh, Superman celebration in Metropolis, Illinois, which twice. Is, twice you're still so you're still kind of active and engaging with uh, fans of that show. Do you have any plans to do that again? Would you do it again? I think I did it like a few years ago for charity for um, a charity I was involved with uh, called Lollipop. We I was one of the founding uh volunteers where we screen current release movies in hospitals for kids that can't leave the hospital and all that so uh, I did it for that um, and then I feel like it was like a 40-year anniversary or a 50-year anniversary for Superman or something it was a big deal in Metropolis so I thought I'd go and do it and I hadn't done it since like whatever it was 1988 or something uh, but it was really cool I really enjoyed seeing the museum um, it's an interesting place if you have you been I have been yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. I have a video from there. It's it's it it's it's really remarkable. That museum, especially. I mean, they've got it? so it's like everything. Yeah, I'm stunned. Like Supergirl costumes and Superman yeah. costumes, props and like life size statues and yeah. all kinds of stuff. And then you go out, of course, into the square outside, and there's this huge Superman statue. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. It's a cool place. Uh, if you've never experienced it and you're definitely a DC or a Superman fan, it's a, it's a great place to go for sure. Well, I want to thank you for, I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air after we finish recording, but I want to thank you for being here, talking to me about this. This has been such a pleasure for me. And uh, I want people to go check out what you're doing. I'll put the links in the description of this video, but this has been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Heath. I appreciate it. It was a fun. Can you guys tell how much I enjoyed this conversation? I think it really comes through. And he's such a great guy. I mean, humble, down to earth, proud of what he's done. Good experiences, right? But it didn't, you can tell it didn't go to his head. Uh, but he's also just where he's at now is such a kind, uh, helpful place. And th this was just really an absolute blast. And I want to tell you guys behind the scenes too, he was every bit as gracious and kind as he was in the interview. So um, it's always... I don't know. It just means a lot to me when when you can uh, when you can have that experience with someone. You have an interaction with someone, and they just really feel locked into you in that moment. That's that's kind of rare, and it's it was wonderful. So I this was great. I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, because I I had a blast with it, and I will definitely be following what Mr. Newton is doing uh, with his own practice. Um, so that guys that this is this is a lot of these podcasts are a lot of fun. I continue to hear from a lot of you guys saying. Uh, 
that you like the audio version because you know it, it's I'm, I'm of two minds on this because youtube is on one hand i know that it can be great for long-form entertainment but i also know i like i have my analytics right most people are not interested in watching long-form content on youtube we live busy lives there's commutes right so i know that the audio version is very uh it's a key component to that so i guess maybe i want to hear from you and just hear your own experience like do you prefer audio do you prefer video um it's it's just really the audience is so segmented that's really what it comes down to is different people want different things from youtube um, I'm trying to be a lot more transparent about YouTube because it is difficult. That's that, then that's to say the least. YouTube is. Uh, I said to someone the other day. You know, I, I posted a video on my channel uh, very recently where I'm talking about the problem with YouTube burnout because this is a very real thing. I would encourage you guys to go check out that video. It's very short. I, I'm joined by Brian Sauer from Just the Discs podcast and Pure Cinema podcast. I mean, these guys are huge. They have regular engagements with Quentin Tarantino. Uh, so for him to join me for that conversation was very meaningful to me. But what it comes through, so YouTube is a, it's, it's a challenge. It's a lot of hard work. You can be a hobbyist on YouTube, but YouTube will only, in my experience, YouTube will only reward you for going the extra mile. They really want you to commit. I, I want to say that YouTube wants a little piece of your soul. Uh, maybe not even a little piece. Maybe they just want all of it. <laughs> I don't know. But, and what, so here's the thing. When I start talking about this, more and more people are like, that's my experience too. I'm really struggling. Thank you for talking about this in an open forum. So I'm trying to be more transparent. That, uh, and that's why I say at the beginning of the episode, hey, please subscribe. Please give us a, and it's so interesting because I say this in every YouTube video, there's a subscribe thing in every podcast I talk about subscribing, yet people aren't doing it. They're like, well, that doesn't apply to, but like why, if you care about someone's content, why would you not subscribe to it? I don't really understand that. If you like something, why would you not take the time to give it's, it's like a fraction of a second. You could click and you've done it. Um, I don't really understand that because, but I can tell you guys, the reason I keep saying is because people don't do it. So it's a challenge. This is all a challenge. Putting myself out here on a regular basis is a challenge. Trying to connect to audiences and have meaningful conversations on a platform that does not seem made for meaningful conversations. Uh, maybe maybe that's too dramatic of a statement. Maybe YouTube itself is not an issue. Maybe it's the culture of YouTube and what people seem to want from it. Um, that's a whole other topic. And I'm doing some investigation on this. I'm doing some, I'm reading some books about this. Not like, I'm not, I'm not one of these people who's like, I want to crack the code. I know what the code is. The code is post as often as possible. You post shorts, you go live. Um, you just really use it as a business tool. That's, that's the code. But I believe that people are not businesses. I believe that we are not a corporation that the world is not, the world wants to be run as a corporation, but it is not a corporation. We are people and we have to have meaningful connection with each other. Um, and you can't really do that when you're constantly selling a product or selling yourself as a product. So I know what they want and whoever they is, even if it's a, if it's a computer program, I know what's, I know what it wants, but I am hesitant to, well, I'm not just hesitant. I'm just not going to do it. This is my, this is, it's my party. And uh, I'm going to create the kind of things that I want. And I want to project it to you guys uh, a transparency and an honesty. So all that to say, YouTube is, uh, it's, it can be tough. And I hear from a lot of you guys that say thank you for the podcast because it bypasses all that YouTube 
shenaniganery, shenanigans, <laughs> shenaniganery, and allows us to just directly tap into the uh, the conversations themselves. So I want to see that grow. That's what it comes down to. The podcast downloads versus the YouTube views are not even close. Like most people seem to be coming to the video versions. Um, but I want to see that the the audio versions pick up. Here's another thing: I want to I want to not just be associated with YouTube. I don't want to be Heath, the YouTuber, serial at midnight on YouTube. As you at the start of the episode, right? Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm everywhere, man. I don't want to just be Heath, the YouTuber. I want to have a diversified um, uh, playing field here, so that every, people can find serial at midnight in lots of different places. That's where you come in. So please engage. You got to let me know what works for you, and we'll kind of figure this thing out together. Uh, but really, most importantly, I want you to know how much I appreciate you. Uh, you are here because you connect with us. And I think you connect with us because I am real and I'm not, hey guys, we're cool. There are so many people that present in the content creation sphere, since that sounds very professional, it sounds very business-like, uh, they're characters, they're not themselves. Now I do, I like it is like you turn it up a little bit, right? You know, put a camera on yourself or put a microphone in your face, turn it up just a little bit so people don't get bored. But uh, I'm not a character. I'm not pretending to be something that I'm not. I'm not Heath, the angry, the angry video guy, the angry movie collector. Like that's not who I am. I, I don't think that's sustainable. I'm just real. I want to be honest and I want to have conversations that make us happier, make us better, give us more to think about. Uh, and you seem to want that too. So uh, thank you. This is all a thank you to say thank you for that. So um, guys, contact me. Let me know what you think. I want to engage with you. These are always, I like to have uh, the, the sense of community about these things is very important to me so that it's not a one, you know, uh, and, and I say this again because so many people just listen or they just watch and they don't engage. But that engagement lets me know uh, that's that's how we build a sense of community. And that, that's very important to me. The, the idea of these... Um, groups of people that come together and support each other and are able to talk about things. You know, we talk a lot about movies. Well, I like when I see people talking about movies with each other in the comments of a video or wherever it may be on my Twitter. And they're not talking to me. They're talking with each other through me. I, I love that. I think that's great. So let's do more of that. Guys, thank you. I appreciate you so very much. Take care. More exciting conversations coming soon. Oh, you don't even know. You don't even know, man. It's going to be great. Take care. Until next time, I will catch you later.